University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkland. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. I invite you to join me in our responsive prayer of intercession, um, as we typically do with this at points in the prayer. I will say, Lord, in your mercy, and you can say, hear our prayer in response. O oh God, who came to us in the form of a baby in Jesus Christ, whom shepherds came to visit and wise men came from afar to see. We greet you this morning and are thankful for your presence among us. We confess, O oh Lord, that our world can be a mess sometimes. There's COVID and other illnesses and diseases and hurts and just the process of getting old. There are political situations that never seem to be able to find resolution. There are wars and people are driven from their homes, storms where people are still recovering. In the midst of this mess, we pray that you would come and be God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, we confess that our lives can be a mess sometimes with busy schedules, with frustrations and expectations. Things aren't the way they should be addictions and things that draw us away from where we need to be, broken relationships that we are afraid to try to mend, and people who do things that we just don't understand. We pray that you would come into the midst of that mess and be God. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God, come into our mess and help make things right. Bring us peace and wholeness Help us to clean up the mess that we see around us and be a part with you of making the world the way you want it to be. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Sorry, taking me a second to get my head mic on here. Good morning. Um, it's wet and damp outside, but the uh, spirit and the atmosphere in here is warm and inviting, and it's so wonderful to be with you um, in worship together this morning. We're going to be looking first at um, a story from, uh, that Epiphany is based on, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked them, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. 
Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt for the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So that night Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. God, we pray your wisdom and pray that you would open our hearts and minds to what you would speak to us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I think last week I told you that I wouldn't be preaching today, that Billy King was supposed to be preaching, but he and Karen got COVID uh, last weekend, so they're not able to be here this morning, and he's not up to preaching, so you have to hear from me again. I apologize. If I'd known, that I wouldn't have tried to squeeze two sermons in last week. If you, if you were here or you watched, and you know I, I had like two different sermons, so I gave a short one and then a long one, uh, I could have just waited until this week, but here we are again anyway, and I have something different for you, so don't worry. Christmas has come and gone. And now here we are, even the 12 days of Christmas are finished. In the past, and still in some liturgical settings today, Christmas tide would begin on Christmas Day and last all the way through January 5th. If you count them up, that's 12 days of Christmas. January 6th is the Feast of the Epiphany, that was this past Friday, the beginning of the season of Epiphany, which lasts up until Lent. Nowadays, when we use the word epiphany, we think of something different than that means. We usually mean a sudden insight or understanding that changes the way we see things. Like, uh, supposedly, the legend goes that Einstein was thinking about physics in the bathtub when he had an epiphany, a sudden revelation that led him to the general theory of relativity. The word epiphany originally comes from Greek, epiphania, where it meant the manifestation or the appearance of a divine being in a particular place. And for that reason, it was used as the name both for the holiday of epiphany and the season of the Christian year. So during Advent, which we just finished, we focus on the waiting and the expectation of Jesus' arrival. In Christmas tide, which ends now, we focus on Jesus' birth and the specialness of God being born as a human being among us. And then in Epiphany, which we begin today, we start with the story of the wise men or the magi visiting Jesus, which, by the way, we're not really sure exactly when that happened, but it could have been as many as one or two years after the events that we talked about at Christmas. Hope that didn't ruin the story for you. But I like to think of Epiphany as focusing on the fact that God moved in. As John put it, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Jesus didn't just come as a fully grown human being, make some pronouncements as an oracle, and then disappear back to heaven. Jesus was born as a human being, as a child, and lived among us for 30-some-odd years 
here on earth. The Greek word that John uses for made his dwelling among us is the same word as pitching your tent or building a house, making a dwelling place and coming as if you are going to stay. And just like our idea of having an epiphany, this, when God moves in, it changes the way we see things and the way we do things. But are we ready for that? I mean, are we really ready for God to come and to stay? It's a big deal. Like, imagine the king of England was going to come and stay in your house. There's a lot that comes along with that. You'd have to get things cleaned up. You'd have to get everything looking perfect. And more than anything, you might have to make room because, uh, like, if the king was coming to our house, we don't have a whole lot of space, and the king would be coming with all his luggage and with all his people and maybe his dogs. Who knows what all would be coming. So we would literally have to make room in our house for all those things. So we'd pretty much have to move out, in fact, just so that he could move in. Specifically this morning, I want us to talk about what it means when God comes to stay. Just like if the king was coming for a visit, we have to make room in our lives and in our hearts. This time of year after Christmas, I feel like I should have spent less time decorating and maybe more time preparing in here. Maybe it's just me, but I feel like I should be in a certain spiritual state for Jesus to show up. Like when the Apostle Paul says that we shouldn't come to the table of communion uh, unprepared, like we should be ready for Jesus to come, that our hearts should be prepared during Christmas and Epiphany. But I feel like more like I've just kind of finished a race. Not like my heart is at peace and I'm ready to celebrate, but let's be honest, Christmas and New Year's are a really busy time. You probably know that I enjoy running, and when I get finished with a long, quick race, a long race or a quick race, anything, I just feel like laying down on the ground and catching my breath. And that's kind of how I feel like Christmas and New Year are for us as ministers, but probably for all of us, because you have family coming, you have gifts to buy, houses to decorate, parties to attend, things to do at work, year-end stuff to close out, all of those kind of things. And so by the time we finally get to Christmas, we may not be completely prepared, and all we really want to do is just kind of lie down and catch our breath. So here it is, two weeks after Christmas, and I still don't feel like I'm ready. Our house was a mess after Christmas, and my life feels like a mess, too. I feel like maybe I should ask Jesus to wait a few days until I'm ready. But here's the first bit of good news that we have this morning. Jesus is used to messy situations. Jesus was born into the real world, and that world was a mess right from the start. When you consider that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, I have to wonder why God chose to bring him in in this way. It seems like everything was so haphazard and so messy. Now, y'all have known Tanya now for a year and a half, enough to know that she is a planner and an organizer. She loves to make sure things are done right. If Tanya was planning this event, she would have made sure that everything was in order before Jesus came, that the world was cleaned up a little bit. The Son of God would be born maybe to a king or to a queen or maybe to the Roman emperor. The world would be prepared to receive Jesus as king. He would have been born in a palace, a proper start. So he had everything he needed to do to succeed in his important work. He would have servants to take care of the small details. He would have soldiers to make sure that people respected him. He would have power from the beginning to make sure that people did what he said. But instead... It seems like Jesus the king was kind of born at the wrong time and wrong place. He wasn't born to a king's family. In fact, he wasn't even born to rich parents. He was born to two poor people from a tiny town in a small country. He wasn't even born at home. As we read in Luke's gospel, there was a census on, so they had to leave town and they were born. Uh, he was born in a different place. No one expected God to arrive this way. And if Luke got his facts straight, the only people who actually knew anything about Jesus' identity at the time were some dirty shepherds and some wealthy stargazers a few hundred miles away. 
Oh, and there was one other person who recognized who Jesus was, by the way. Ironically, of all the people in the Christmas story that we read in Matthew and in Luke, maybe the only one who really recognized how important Jesus was, was Herod. Herod was the only one who really understood what a threat Jesus would be to the empire, to world powers. But his response wasn't to try to worship Jesus. His response, of course, as we read, was to try and kill him. So Jesus and his family spent a good portion of his very first years on the run like refugees in a foreign land. What a mess. What a mess of a situation for God to come into. It seems to me like God maybe could have waited until things were cleaned up a little bit more in the world when people were ready to treat Jesus like the important person that he is. But we can be thankful that God didn't wait because if God had waited until the mess was cleaned up, let's be honest, we'd still be waiting today. Jesus didn't wait to come until things were cleaned up and ready. Jesus came right into the mess of everything and started making things right. That's an amazing thing to me, that God would come into the middle of our messy world and start making things right and not wait for everything to be perfect. Just so you don't think that I'm making this up, Jesus himself told us that he didn't show up for the people that had it all together. In Mark chapter 2, we hear the story of Jesus uh, visiting in the home of Levi or Matthew, the tax collector. And it reads, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. You see, Jesus didn't come as some rich king to be taken care of. He didn't come to hang out with the people who already thought they were perfect and had it all together. Jesus was coming to the ones who knew they needed fixing. When I look back at the messy way that Jesus first appeared to me, Epiphany helps me see that Jesus comes into our messes still today. And that's good news for the world and good news for you and for me. And it leads me to the second bit of good news, which is when we make room for God to move in, we don't have to wait until everything is right. I mentioned that our house was a mess after Christmas, and it was, and it stayed that way up until a couple of days ago when we had to clean up before guests were coming over. It feels good to have a clean house, doesn't it? Doesn't that feel good to have everything in its place and everything cleaned up like it's supposed to be? But it takes a while to get done. And to be honest, I don't really enjoy doing it all that much. Maybe some of you do. Some people love that. It's like your favorite thing is cleaning house. Not me. I'll find anything else to do other than that. I would rather have a house cleaning service or somebody to come over and do it for me. Now imagine with me for just a moment, you've hired a cleaning service to come over and get your house cleaned up after Christmas. The doorbell rings and you look around the house and realize, oh my gosh, this place is an awful mess. There's so much work to do. So you come to the door and you say, I'm sorry, the house is still really messy. Can you come back in a few days when I've got it cleaned up? It doesn't make sense. We want to wait because there's a mess, but I'm turning away the very people who could come and help me get things back in order. It's that way in our lives, too. God comes in and helps us get things cleaned up and put in order. And I'm not just talking about the first time that we invite God to work in our lives, because the fact is we keep needing God to come back again and again and again. No matter how much we might have our act together, things are always going to get messy again. It always happens. It's true in our homes. The moment you get the floor clean, somebody walks across with dirty shoes. 
The moment you clean up behind the bed, the dust is already starting to collect there again. The moment you get the last dish clean, somebody comes in and throws a dirty dish in the sink, not at the dishwasher, where you just emptied it. There's plenty of nice, clean space here in this dishwasher. It could go there. Oh, no, it goes in the sink. I'm not looking at anybody on the front pew. <coughs> the moment you finish drying and folding your clothes, you already have dirty clothes waiting for you. In case you haven't noticed, children and teenagers tend to make this process go exponentially faster. It's true in our lives as well. If you're like me, as soon as things start feeling right, my life starts falling apart again. And the good news continues. When we make room for God, God will come back again and again, no matter what kind of mess we've got. That's grace and forgiveness. And it's a wonderful thing. We don't have to wait to get ourselves cleaned up. That is what God comes to do. Which leads me to the third bit of good news for today. When we make room for God in our mess, God will start making things right. Now, it's nice to say that God comes into our mess, but Jesus doesn't just come into our messy house, kind of clear space off the sofa and sit down, kick his feet up, and watch TV. I'm being facetious, of course, but God doesn't just come in and lounge around in our mess. God begins to make things right. Now, I don't want to imply that God is a genie or a servant or any kind of magician or whatever that comes in, snaps fingers, and makes things right. It is a mess, and it is a messy process, and it's a never-ending process. But when we make room for God in our hearts, we start doing things automatically in a different way. Just by God's very presence in our lives, things begin to change. Once in a children's museum, I saw a display about magnets and magnetic fields, and I couldn't find a picture of it, but on, on this display at the, the museum was a glass tube or a plastic tube that had water in it, and it looked like the water was dirty. There were things floating around inside of it, and the tube had a spot in the middle that was empty, so it was a tube within a tube, and what you did is you dropped a magnet down inside, and what looked like dirt was inside this water were actually little pieces of metal, and as soon as you put the magnet in, the pieces started coming together in interesting little shapes and lines as you moved it up and down. This is an image, I think, of what God's presence does in our lives. When we make space and allow God to come in, things begin to come into order. Another example is when Tanya and I were teaching in the schools with Roma children, uh, the children often got out of hand. They weren't very disciplined and they, weren't, uh, they didn't always do things the proper way, proper way. Um, and the rooms could get really rowdy at times, and the teacher uh, even sometimes would have trouble getting things under control. And we hardly ever got anything done in, in situations like that. But there was one school where there was a headmistress who was so respected. She was, loved, she was a lovely person, and she loved these children and took care of them, but she was very strict. And we'd be in this room, and the kids would be rowdy and talking loud, and suddenly the door would open, and everything would go quiet. And the kids would sit in their seat. This is the, they'd sit in their seat with their hands behind their back, like you're supposed to do proper Slovak children. She didn't have to say a word. She just walked in, and things came into order. Things started working the way they were supposed to again. I think that's what can happen when we make room for God in our lives. The things in our lives begin to take shape again. We find that just the act of making room is enough to start setting things right. I used to think of Advent as a time when we could make spiritual preparations for the new year, but now, at least for me, that happens later, right about now in the time of Epiphany. Things have been such chaos and in such a mess, and suddenly here's Jesus coming into the middle of it all. So I want to go back to this good news we've seen this morning. Jesus is used to messy situations. We don't have to clean up the mess. Things don't have to be ready. You don't have to be perfect. You only need to be willing to make room. 
Now, what do I mean by this? And I want to finish kind of on a, on a practical note, or at least a way for us to think about it and get our heads around it. Last week, I mentioned that Caitlin had gotten a new desk in her room, and first to do that, she had to move the old one out. The new desk wouldn't fit in the place that the old one was unless you moved it. And it's the same with that tube of water in the museum. If that space was not there in the middle of the tube for the magnet to go down, then all you would have is just a jar of really dirty water. Our lives, I think, are like this too. We can't say we're willing to invite God in if we're not willing to make room. And let's face the hard truth about this. When we talk about making room for God, we mean making time for God. And that's hard. We fill our calendars with so many things. Work, friendships, school, family. For me, it's easy to fill my life with all the little details of things that need to be done. Some of them are good things. In fact, I feel blessed to be in two different, working in two different places where I'm doing what I feel like is good and meaningful work. But after a while, no matter how important or significant what we're doing is, it all just kind of gets muddled up into a mess. Our spirits, our minds, and our hearts can get messy too. We might be worried about the future or about some decision we need to make. We may be worried about someone or something that we love. We may have doubt over the next steps in our journey. We may have frustration over unmet expectations, maybe fear or anger, someone that we're unwilling to forgive or someone uh, that we need to make things right with. These things crowd our spirits and our lives and our hearts are so full that there's no room for God. Now, this is not a new modern problem. We may think that this is just something that we encounter that people of the past didn't, but it's not. This is exactly the reason that God at the beginning established the day of Sabbath. It was a day of rest. It was a day for people to take time off and to rest, but it was an idea um, that the people were supposed to take that time in order to reconnect with themselves and to reconnect with God. Jesus said that the Sabbath was made for our benefit, and it was. It gives us space to step back, to make room in our lives for the other things other than just the stuff that just makes us busy. Jesus is our model for this because his life was full and full of really good things. You read the Gospels, and it's only a short percentage of the, of the time that he spent on earth that we read about. But he was healing, he was feeding, he was preaching, he was leading and teaching his disciples, all these different things that Jesus was doing. And it would have been so easy for him to get caught up in all of this and to allow it to take him over. But what did Jesus do? Frequently he would go off by himself to reconnect with God, to reconnect with his Father, to reconnect with himself, and to remember his purpose and his mission so that he could keep going in that right way. Now, I know this may sound kind of like spiritual mumbo-jumbo, and I think for those of us who grew up in the church and the Christian faith, we kind of take these things for granted, and we've heard all our lives these things that we should do, that we need to do to make things right with God, and you just need to keep reading your Bible and praying and having your quiet time. I'm not saying that those are bad things, I'll be honest, in the past few years, my understanding of God and ways that I connect with God have changed. And those change for us over time. It doesn't stay the same. We have to make room for God in our lives. Maybe that looks like reading your Bible and praying. Maybe it looks like something else. But I want to invite you this week to take on this practice, to make room for God in your life in some way. And what do I mean by this? It's going to look different for each person. Where have you experienced God's presence in the past? For me, it's being outdoors, leaving my phone away, taking my watch off, just going outside and getting a breath of fresh air, being in the woods or somewhere that I can really feel like I'm connecting with God and with the world. Maybe for you it could be journaling, looking back on your day and seeing where maybe you had an epiphany where God showed up in your day somewhere. 
Maybe it's a conversation with somebody else about spiritual things. Maybe it's meditation or yoga. Maybe it's reading your Bible, um, discovering some new story that you haven't encountered before, or finding an old story and reading it in a new way. Maybe it's taking a break at work to go on a walk with just yourself and with God. Whatever it takes for you to reconnect with yourself and with God, that is what it means to make room for God. It doesn't have to be a big space. It'd be lovely if we could all just take a whole week off for a retreat, but Jesus showed up in a small stable, and look what God was able to do with that. Just make space where you can, and God will honor it. And that, to me, I think is the most important thing we can do this Epiphany season, is to make room. We have a time of response, and I invite you during this time to think about a way this week that you can make room, make space in your life for God. Our world is busy and messy. Our lives can be messy too, but God can come into the midst of that and we can see something different. So I want to invite you just in these next couple of silent minutes to think of a way that you could take that time this week to reconnect with God and make room.